Hey everyone, it's Joe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Business Analyst podcast. My guest today is Amori Van Royen, a business architect with Momentum Metropolitan by day, but a business analyst all day long. She transforms strategy into solution and she pays what she knows forward by being a business analyst mentor. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for coming on the pod. Welcome and thank you for the invitation opportunity. I'm really grateful. Yeah, I'm great. I'm grateful you are here, that you are braving this. Um, I start with the same question every time, really, is I, I, I want to know your, your backstory, what it is that drew you to the career. Was it planned? Was it an accident? How did you arrive as a business analyst? I think the interesting part is I think a lot of us is that it found us along the journey. I started in my corporate career, um, what they called it account management, which was a liaison between business and IT. And I had to facilitate a lot of these um, IT projects and it, it just felt like it was this one big list needed to get done. And I remember the day where I like, got so frustrated because I couldn't influence priority decisions because I had not the knowledge or the ability to influence because of getting involved. So I had to get my hands dirty within the projects to influence the prioritization. And I think that's actually where it started up. It was that moment of, I want to make a difference. I want to influence, but my hands were tied. Um, and that's how the analysis. And then at that point, my manager has a passionate, um, I'm not sure, I think you maybe know as Vilna Kutsia from NetBank. So she okay. was my manager and she's the one that introduced me to business analysis. And that's where it actually started because it gave me a language and an avenue to fulfill this need that I had to help out. Um, so that's actually where it started. And then it started more like an informal, homegrown business analysis until I did FTI, which actually gave it more structure and depth. Um, and, and that's where we launched off. Um, that was my Alexander Forbes days. Okay. So, and eventually evolved into momentum. And then, which I'm now actually more a business architect, but still all day long business analyst. Yeah, it, it, it's okay, funny, so. right? The the these skills. Um, I mean, in a, in a way, some people say a business architect is a form of business analyst, right? It's like a, a specialist role in in the space. But but you're quite right. Behind this stuff, we have um, a breadth of tools, really, that we can use to do many things. Agree with you, and I think that's what makes it so beautiful. I have to continuously sharpen, still keep my business analysis skills sharpened, um, because it gives me the edge and the business architect capacity. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful um, along this journey is that it's still my heart, um, even though it's, it's expressed in a different way during the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what sort of um changes in the business analyst space you've been doing this a little while right so i'm sure you've seen a little bit of an evolution a bit of a shift over the years what sort of changes have you seen that have been sort of quite quite prominent over that time i think for me the biggest thing was and i think it i th I made a note of it during the day where i was um getting my thoughts ready it's a difference between business analysts that was a luxury 
and it became now more and more a necessity. So I think that would be the biggest shift, even where I am currently um, in the corporate space, more and more need, the need for it versus in the back in the past was if you could kind of, you were somewhere there in the background noise kind of thing. The other part that shifted um, was for me the past year actually is the the coaching part of the last two years, coaching becoming, I would say that's the shift. I think maybe that helps the business analysts getting that growth is the accessibility to coaching and mentoring. I think especially with COVID, people went a lot online and started recording the experiences and um, and videos. I think that maybe open up a lot of us to um, sharpen a lot of our abilities, soft and technical. Um, and I think that made for, that in itself for me is a shift is the fact that we are um, much more professional in, in many ways. I think that made us stand more out in conversations and handling ourselves in our profession in within a business context. I think that was for me really beautiful. Um, I was at the PDD day for the IABA and I was just so impressed about, you know, the professionalism, you know, it's not just like a little business analyst. It was really, you know, how everybody handled themselves. It was something to be proud of. And I haven't been there for a while. And I was like, wow, we've come a long way, but we could be proud of where we are now. Yeah, I think so too. I think we, we've, um, I mean, I haven't seen obviously all of the professions and how they've transitioned sort of over this, this COVID. I, I've obviously only really been privy to the kind of people that um, uh, I interact with on projects in change, you know, so it's the usual kind of people like project managers and product managers and, and testers and things. But, uh, but I do think um, within that, the way that the profession has sort of risen to, well, I guess the opportunity of what the last few years has brought us has been quite remarkable. As you say, a lot of people uh, have just been giving, paying forward, offering expertise, support, help, knowledge, whatever it is, um, online. And I think we really did have a great opportunity to to tap into the world, to tap into this profession um, and, and use that to help lift ourselves. I mean, it's wonderful feedback um, that you're giving on the local PDD here. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you on, on this is because the last few years have been quite different to all of the years before. Um, which of your skills do you think have gotten sharper due to the nature of how we've had to work recently? Yeah, I think I'm giggling because those who will be listening and those who know me um is mind map <laughs> okay i'm kind of well known for mind mapping but i think um the biggest shift for me was personally um online collaboration um because of people not being auditive i'm a visual thinker and a visual understander which meant audit auditive it was very challenging for me to follow just on a listening um, basis and I had to started using visual ways to get the conversation um, focused, um, collaborative and making sure that when we walk away we've got a common understanding, which we always did, 
but I it, it come a bit stronger for me as I it's my thing. It was very important to me to anchor every conversation of a common understanding. So that is sharpened a lot. And then mind map, which I always did, became my superpower, but also my partner in crime in many of the conversations, especially when a conversation went like popcorn. Then I will, from a facilitation point of view, I'll open up a mind map and just bring the conversation back. People start hearing themselves because they see their own words on front of them. So that shifted a bit. And then I think because of the way you had to prepare for conversations, there wasn't really time for that fluffiness. You know, when you go to some of the meetings, you had this, that five minutes fluffy conversation mm. was less of that, which meant, and time was very um, precious. So you, I really did stakeholder management seriously, okay. prepare for my conversations and still do, but it went to a next level for me preparing the conversations, make sure it's impactful. Um, and I think because I was at home and less distracted, I had more that time, more strategic, a lot more strategic with my conversations um, compared to what I would do in the past. Um, I think that was for me personally, the significant shift in my personal growth um, from a business analyst. And I think that's what I'm sharing now with the BAs around me is making them that consciousness from a stakeholder management point of view you have to personalize sometimes you have to narrow in listen out empathy you know that whole thing um but i think also because of covert because of where people were mentally i think I, that's also why i did a little bit more effort mm. um to lighten the burden of the anxiousness because people was already carrying a lot of that anxiousness around and now you bring in a meeting, now you bring change. Yeah. So I was, I had that emphasis to say, no, this is safe. This is good. Uh, and yeah, so that change management, but stakeholder management is so, so close to my heart. Yeah, it's really interesting that, that, that you um, say that you found time to think more strategically. Um, I think that's wonderful. I mean, a lot of the narratives I heard was it, it it became a bit like back-to-back -back meetings all day long. You know, there was Zoom fatigue because actually in many ways we sort of at first were like, well, how's this going to work? What are we going to do? And then suddenly it was meetings all day, all day long, which obviously took away. I mean, certainly for me, it was like that at times, took my time away, my ability to, to think before, and I had to do um, a lot more on the fly. But I like to hear your preparedness. I think, I think sometimes when we speak to stakeholders, we don't always prepare quite as well as we could or should. Um, won't you give us a little sort of peek maybe then into what goes on to onto your mind map, you know? Um, I understand the concept of a mind map, but what sort of things are you using it for? What's on there? I think it's maybe not what's on there. It's maybe more the thing about what it's used for. Um, I did a, a, at the conference, I did a um, session on it because I wanted to share the power that's within it. And it's not about the tool itself. It's actually just speaking to the heart of visual um, thinkers because I think they kind of lack um, visual thinkers, not text. It's not just auditive. They kind of, and it's also, 
So that's maybe where it started. So mind map is usually used for the decomposition. So that's what it traditionally was used. Even in the educational system, kids are taught to use mind maps to decompose knowledge and to break them into association and then you form connections. So it's very similar what I do in the day job. I can use it from a project work breakdown structure no breakdowning. I use it in my BA planning and monitoring. So if I have to plan my approach, I get my things down. I would use it in a way in a licitation, especially depending on the licitation where um, I've got 30 minutes, subject matter expert, and um, I need to get as much as possible. But sometimes they also don't know yet what they are saying or thinking. So I use it as a way to help them organize their thinking about what exactly what you want. You know, figure out the problem from the need, from the requirement. And, and that was a way to visually shift their, short, their thinking. Um, then I would use it as requirements walkthrough. So it's a, it's a different way from a PowerPoint or executive summary to kind of focus the cover. So it's the diversity of it's amazing because of my intent. I started discovering its diversity because my intent was time is precious. So yeah. I needed the conversation focused. I needed to get to the depth. I always, I always joke with my senior executives. It says, when I have 30 minutes with you, I'll suck you dry. The guys always know it's tiring after my sessions because of the questions I ask and they have to think. Mm. And, the, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, it's got so, so much diversity. Um, with online collaboration also now with being remote, it has really, really given me depth. Yeah. Um, into a lot of what I do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a wonderfully um, versatile. Um, it's a wonderfully versatile technique. I, I, I like using it for taking notes as well. I mean, you go in with a structure, a bit of an agenda. You can put an acronym around around the trunk, um, and and I think it sort of trumps taking um, notes sequentially because it all. People don't talk in sequence. They're all over the place. So capturing in a mind map form allows you to put things in the right place straight away. It's a great, great way to synthesize a word that perhaps is not associated with us often enough. It's always the analyst, but there's so much synthesis that, that we do as well. Um, my maps are great there. Okay, so so, so we, I, I, I'm just thinking now, we did this sort of pre-COVID thing. We've done a little bit of a COVID thing, so maybe we should start looking um, a bit forward, especially given this is the Future Business Analyst podcast, right? Um, if, if we follow the trends that you've seen, you know, sort of where do you think we're heading to? What do you see coming? So I think I, what I... Three things that really came out, stand out of mind when I think of this question was, which I always wanted, and I think it's like my wishes being granted, is having access to more data to verify assumptions, verifying requirements and needs and problems. Because in the past, it took, you know, when you have that intuition, when there's a need rising, you got this intuition feeling, it says it's not really the need. Um, and then you don't have enough data to work with to question it. So you have to take the word. Now, with the data accessibility we have these days, I think that makes it for me exciting to have that mechanism from instead of using user interviews and user observation, we've got now data to speed up 
the validation and verifying a lot of these things. So data, I think it's for me exciting. Um, the other one, and I think it really dawned on me this, um, this week, my last week also, is business knowledge. So one of my things is, like I said, I'm prepared for my meetings, which means I never go in with a blank page. I never expect a business person to explain their industry to me from a one-on-one perspective. I always go prepared. And with AI, I have much more accessibility to speed up that knowledge and that acumen in preparation of my sessions or my engagement. Um, I think that's the exciting part for me because I used to have to connect with other BAs or SMEs or some we read up on Google and it's again a speed thing. Um, it took longer time to do my research and, and get to that speed. Um, third thing would definitely, but I think it's close to heart, is online collaboration and facilitation. I support remote work. I also support, to an extent, hybrid. Um, but I think we could do a lot more um, online collaboration facilitation. Um, I think there's some fun things that's lying ahead for us. Okay. Um, data, business knowledge slash AI, online collaboration. Right. And when you say, yeah, I support remote work, I suddenly thought, yeah, we need like some kind of flag we can wave, don't we, to show that we're, we're part of the remote movement or something. But um, I want to just, from, from what I heard there, you're using AI that, that was what I picked up. Not that you think AI, but you're bringing it into your work right now. Did I interpret that correctly? Not enough. I think I was surprised just to just for where this actually started. I haven't used it actively, but I saw the potential. And, and because it's now only in the week or two, one of my colleagues, I think maybe you know him, Anton Oersteisen. Okay. He's also a mind map person. And he was in my, in my session that I did. And because he obviously understood my heart for mind maps. And he sent me um, a little AI link where you would take a sentence put it in and then the answer gets expressed in a mind map form so I had a little giggle of it okay but what was interesting is I actually typed a sentence and it because we're doing a business analysis event I, I actually typed it planning an event for business analysis oh my goodness it gave you a beautiful mind map breakdown of the very you know from a planning perspective the themes and we actually needed it a week before that um and I think that's where I was like, I was sold. Okay. Just because of the level of detail, it gave me enough of breadth and width and depth. It doesn't have to be accurate, but it, it gave me a lot to think of. It framed a lot of things, things I haven't considered of. I think that was for me where I'm like, okay, I've got a few projects coming up. I'm definitely going to test this out. Um, I think that was interesting because we're not sharing enough the knowledge we have gained um, as business analysts. So that is one of the things we're trying to shift with where in our working space. I want them to share their knowledge. Um, I don't like working with a blank page. Um, and I'd like to pay um, lessons learned. It's very strong for me. I don't pay school fees twice. So if I could help somebody, I will. Um, same both ways. And I think the knowledge part was for me amazing because I think the other thing, Joe, for me, especially your junior B 
BAs is you know how important it is to set a mandate in one of those meetings, especially a bit mid-management. When a BA has that presence of their own, their profession, and sometimes business knowledge is one of the success criteria in that in setting that mandate in that presence in those meetings. So I think that's why I feel so strong at heart. Um, but when I saw that mind map and that thing, I was like, no BA has an excuse to go with a blank page into okay. any, you, you know, user engagement, stakeholder engagement. There's no more excuse. We've got everything. We've got so much knowledge at hand now. So I was excited. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Um, do you happen to remember the name of that tool offhand now to say it? Or um, I th- I'll get it to you now while we're talking because um, it was ch- chat something. I just want to get the exact expression of it, um, but I will send it. I will explain. I will then that's, that's it fine. I, I, I can get it from you afterwards. I just think it would be really interesting to drop that link into wow. the show notes of the pod so that other people can have a play. I've got it for you now. I found it. Oh, well, tell me. It's chat. It's chatmind.tech. Chatmind.tech. T-E-C-H. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Chatmind.tech. Another great tool to have a play around with. It is quite interesting. You know, often when we think about AI and we talk about AI, we think of AI as this sort of big, ominous thing. But what I'm actually finding is it's lots of small micro AI moments in a way, you know, that I'm just building up little bits and pieces. And sure, they're going to build on each other and it's going to get bigger. But it's like there's a tool to help with this and there's a little tool to help with that. And it's slowly sort of weaving its way into my work, I'm finding. Um, and I think it's at speed. I think that's what everybody's about is the speed and, and greater understanding. And I think that's where I would use AI is that greater understanding. Um, and like I said, because that's always what we said, the competitive edge is how can you quickly respond to a situation that is changing? And it just makes you sharper if you are quicker to respond to that change. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes it exciting, the era that we are entering yeah no it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit of a ride I'm, I'm sure of that um the first item you mentioned was access to data being able to verify things that are perhaps said opinions that are said but just get our hands on some hard numbers um to do our work what kind of questions are you looking to answer with this data are you looking at strategic questions are you looking at quite operational tactical questions um what's data doing for you for me data is um i think it's it's both back and forward so back is from a from a cause perspective you know are we hitting the right nail um, so it's back reflective. So it obviously would be, um, what's the volume really? So from, and I think back is actually, we you know, when you get that typical business case kind of thing, cost benefit analysis, where you're trying to figure out, you know, you're increasing this or less of this. Um, so data usually is used for me for, to find patterns or quantify the problems but it's also forward looking so the exciting part is when a change does get executed to start you know that what we 
in the past we used to call it not benefit realizing but harvesting okay so we had a usually a tendency that when you go live we always would want to look what is the six months harvest versus a 12 month harvest after this thing going live and i think that's where the interesting part is the data is to look at the harvesting parts which is what you projected um because i think that becomes exciting as a business analyst from an experience because if you could measure your harvesting you become more accurate in your estimations and your speculations mm. um and i think that's where the exciting part comes in um that's lying ahead for us so i think we're not really as business analysts monitoring our own assumptions and things in within the project and say can i have the following three you know things monitored because i want to use it my own stats but um i think it will come but for now um i could see the data awareness is big so it's it's there for us and it's not just us monitoring it it's the stakeholders themselves technical or even business who's monitoring itself because they actually want to know did my assumption and did our approach actually work especially think of campaigning campaigning is one of those that are um yeah. high data monitoring yeah. um to see whether where should my next campaign be so those principles are useful when we apply to projects yeah um you you've said a couple of things um you, you talked about lessons learned earlier and you talk about harvesting now and and you know you, you said you don't pay your school fees twice and when you talk about harvesting now you're not you you didn't mention like so we know how much we made back you know it wasn't about the return on the investment your example was so that we can use it to better estimate the next one which is like lessons learned again really so i i, I i'm loving that i'm hearing from you that this stuff that we do at the end of a project is being brought back in to the beginning of the next change that we're embarking on so that we we, we do learn and move forward I, I often find that actually we don't do that i think that's remarkable i think i think that is what i actually do it personally so that i don't wait um for somebody to launch i will actually open up a document after a project and i just put down you know my own mistakes whatever mistakes what worked, what didn't work um i actually do a record of it because it's not because you're judging the project being right or wrong but it's opportunity for growth opportunity could we have done it differently or why not to do next time but i think it's it's um because everything itself is a learning curve and i think that's what makes it so exciting as business analysts is we have that to offer um along the journey but it's not just for myself but for another business analyst i would use it as example for instance when you engage with this type of executive my suggestion would use the following approach because i saw across the project if it worked or didn't work if you had work engaged with this team so i would even go to a team level or a person level or a system level or how did i do my research so it's many things whatever i felt like i want to take it's like treasures you take forward and whatever didn't work you leave behind or what was bad you leave behind but you move forward with the good yeah that's what it's actually about yeah yeah it it, it is as yeah I, th I think that's great um the, the, the third thing you're talking about is online collaboration. You, you've mentioned some words along the way. Um, you talk change management. You've mentioned that, you know, people have a, a level of anxiety about things. You've used the word 
empathy so far. I guess all of that stuff needs to come together in this this sort of online collaboration. Um, when we talk about online collaboration, I'm sensing with you there's a couple of places we can do that. One, we can do that within the work context, but two, we can also do it within the sort of professional community context as well. Which one of those two would you like to talk about? Which way should we go? I think it actually doesn't mind. We can. I think my most experience would be in the corporate space. Um, um, yeah, we could maybe go there because I think I've got a diverse and just experience of it. Um, but yeah, it actually doesn't matter. What, I think you can okay, leave me. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's um, a topic. So, so online collaboration from a work context. Then, I mean, obviously, we're still quite new to this. It's still in our in its infancy, I can imagine that the kind of tools that we use along the way are going to change as well. Uh, um, I'm sure we're all just scratching the surface of the, the buttons that are available to us in Mural and Miro and, and all of that stuff. Um, how do you see this developing? How do you see this moving forward? Do you see, we, you mentioned the word hybrid. Um, that means that we might be hosting things with many people in 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 the cloud and many people in a room um how, how do you see this happening i think it's for me personally the only reason why i'm saying hybrid is i picked up there is sometimes depending on time limitation that i would go to a face-to-face -face conversation because i sometimes still feel i get speed it's all about speed it's um, for me it's not because of the speed but because of the the depth i need to get into a period of time um so we do very have little face to face but from an online collaboration um why i see it will evolve because you have access from an international perspective because what what happened in the past we were very local whoever you could connect with you know, locally within your city, you kind of tapped into their knowledge. Now, because of online, you ex you got a vast accessibility from an international perspective as well. Um, with that said, is even though as fancy as what the tools could be, I still go with traditional online collaboration because I still need engagement. I could put a mirror in front of a lot of my people. I still lose them. Yeah. So my online collaboration, I still have to work a lot where the person is because some people just don't want to open up the mirror, move a sticky, you know, type the sticky. It's just not their nature. Mm. So um, I'm not that expertise in the tool itself, but it's more the human interaction mm. that I get. And I think that's where it is, where I listen to tone of voice. You know, when those that are very those what they say those lie detectors but you get those people that actually is a human lie detector yeah. so they would tell you about how they listen to the tone of voice the the spaces between your voice you actually start learning that so you pick it up and through that is where the collaboration would come for me is i want the engagement then the rest is easy. Then you can go into brainstorming and, you know, doing designs and all those stuff. But collaboration is actually getting the person to talk, yeah. to speak, to voice, to, um, it's like you're not seen, but you are heard. So I think that's where online collaboration for me is more than it's pretty and entertaining and it's, you had so much fun. Um, I'm more at 
the person part because that's where um, we've got a big need is to get more of that engagement. And otherwise you get the person. If you don't ask me, I'm not going to say. Yeah. Um, that's still a challenge. It, it, you know, it's harder for people not to answer you when you're sat right in front of them in the same room. Um, it feels a little easier for people maybe to duck a question, to turn off their camera, to not get involved. And so definitely, um, I think you're almost saying your senses were heightened by by this, as you say, you're now looking for different Agreed. indicators, different clues, because wow. yeah, those ones aren't there. Um, and and it's funny how that 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 has happened. I suppose it's not funny, but it's just something I thought about recently. I've often look at been looking at the things that I've lost through being remote, and I haven't necessarily f- focused on well, what are all the things that I'm much better at now because of it. It's um, true. Yeah, that's true. We've actually gained a lot. It's, it's so true. No, it's yeah. so true. Um, one of the things that I, I'll just drop this in, I am far better at explaining things than I used to be because I could rely on a whiteboard oh, yeah. or um, just being there. But now I have to be much clearer in my words. I need to be much more structured when I say something i have to have strategized it just much better at explaining things now it's quite quite incredible i think i i haven't sharpened that but i think that's where visualization is one of my biggest skills so um it's because sometimes i still don't express it sometimes the words because of people's language and the understanding of certain terminology you can easily get lost and i think that's where visualization mind map to an extent because it's more words but i do a lot of visualization in my conversations um and that helped me to get the understanding across where you said your articulation your wording helped you a lot to, um, to sharpen that to be more precise i actually used a lot more pictures okay. i would i've got a, a online whiteboard i've got a um, tablet with a pen if i have to i will open up a visual quickly and i will use a couple of shapes just to navigate and it's basic prepositions that sometimes people get understanding when they say is it before or after is it in front or the back um is it the front end or the back end that you're actually referring to and i actually just use the pictures so that they are understanding where are they are you are you here or you're down here yeah and that has been amazing in many of my conversations to say, okay, fine. Are you talking about the line mm. or you're talking about the block <laughs> or the circle? And it is amazing because people use, especially when they popcorn. So some of the people you lose quickly. So they think you're still at the circle, but you actually shifted. Mm. So I'm actually sometimes literally using the pictures. I, those who know me know I will quickly open up a whiteboard or some picture before you. And let's use a picture as a way to navigate the conversation. So that's maybe one of my other things I do as an online collaboration is using a form of a picture to um, look at the conversation, but it's at a um, top-down look. So you're 90,000 feet view and you're looking onto the situation. So I will draw that type of picture, not in it. So what's nice about it, every become, everybody becomes objective. So everybody pulls out and then you look from top down objectively to the situation, the problem, the solution. Um, and that kind of helped me a lot because people got not so attached. They sit, sat with me in that high seat 
looking down. So that in itself also helped a lot. Yeah, no, they're, they're great for navigating it. And I guess calibrating, recalibrating people, you know, you can sort of bring it back. That's beautiful. Let them know where they are. Um, but it's not all going to be plain sailing, all of this, this AI, this knowledge, this data, this um, online collaboration. What, what challenges do you reckon might be in our way or we might find along our way as we, we go forward? What are they going to be the biggest ones? I think the make the fact that using AI in its sense without verifying or validating it, I think it's going to become for certain BAs dangerous. Yeah. Where they take it as truth or they try to get away with it and copy yeah. paste. Yeah. I think that's the risk that we have, but it's a personal risk if you want to take the chance. But I think that's where I think it's a it's a sharp knife and if you mm. use it irresponsibly, it's gonna hurt you. Um but I think the challenges that I would say for me, I won't say just in the AI. I think for me, what I picked up um, today was also that the frequency of change, sometimes we've got a tendency to call it scope creep. And I sometimes say it's not scope creep. It's the frequency of change of the business yeah. because if a project takes a bit too long, it's perceived as scope creep, but it isn't. Business changes. Mm. Um, and I think that's where we're going to have to help manage the change within the context of your requirements management, for instance. Mm. How are you to quickly handle the change of certain drivers that you knew up front is the potential risk? Mm. And, and I think that is navigating the within the requirement. I think that's for me. We know business is going to change. We know change technology, mm. but it's when you're in the midst of a solution design even, something popped up that you didn't expect. Regulatory change came out of nowhere mm. and we need to respond within the month. I think that responsiveness is to say, how does it impact our solution quickly? It's nowhere to blame, but it's to, you know what I feel like? It's like an organism that breathes. Mm. And your requirements and your solution or whatever you work with is, is going to be coming more like an organism that is movable and yeah. you have to make sure it's movable and not like these fixed pieces until it's deployed. You can't say a different word because it feels like sometimes a bit waterfall. Yeah. I think that's maybe where that would be definitely one regulatory heavily. It's really hitting many ways. Um, that's heavy. And the other thing was for me, um, there was another two things. Challenges is lifespan of solutions. Okay. We were used to that a solution. We were in the past taught, you know, software's got a three-year depreciation kind of thing. With the speed of what we have, they could ask for a new solution in the next year. So I think that's the interesting part is that the solution can easily get replaced again, especially if you think of your um open source type of things, when it's a plugin type of concept or things like that, um, it easily gets replaced. So you need to be quickly respond. So you can't go back and say, let's do as is again. You actually have to somehow have something accessible that you can adapt within 12 months from now if they want to replace that plugin with something else. So the frequency of software changing, I think that is for me in itself a challenge. Um, because you're going to do this again in 12 months. It's not like when we're done, we say for the next 20 years. Mm, not quite. And then the other thing that dawned on me the other day is the amount of solutions. 
okay. that are opt that could solve the problem. I think that becomes a challenge in itself because usually in the past you had like three or four options. That was about it. Yeah. Now you can solve the problems in so many power apps, these open source stuff. You know, it's amazing what people can do to solve the problem in many ways, which makes now again, do I spend more time in the requirements, understanding the need, the problem? Or do we shoot in the dark and hope we, sh we shoot right because there's so much? You can't go through all of them. I think that's for me, I still experience it is the, the amount of options we have now compared to the past. Is is a challenge because, yeah, you know, yeah. Others you, would say no. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you lay quite a few rocks in our path there. I think as we as we move forward, some of them big. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I suppose the variety of options of choice that we have it's just growing all of the time. You know, startups, all of these little things like these micro solutions that can solve things. Um, yeah, and the solutions we put in place might not be around as long because that world is changing so fast, then you actually need a slightly different solution to the solution that you you had yesterday. I think, I mean, if I, I'm, I'm talking to a business architect here, right? So um, the, the, the two words that, pop, that were popping into my head was capability model. You know, if you've got a capability model for the organization, right, the things that it does, the products and services, the way it goes about it, then you can allocate those capabilities to particular applications, which means, I know it's not quite as easy as what I'm about to say, but it means that you could sort of lift one out and put another one in, in its place, as long as it that's has where the interoperabilities there. And I think that's where some of our solution designs becomes a bit challenging because business wants that flexibility. They want that ability to plug in, plug out, which makes your solution design that extra extended thing that you have to do to offer this because this actually becomes a success criteria in itself you know but i think it's luckily not on a whole capability stack that you have this it's your certain capability pieces that are um that are easily you know the high staff turnover kind of environment versus some of your capability pieces are more has got a longer longevity which is good but if you're depending where you are playing as a ba i think you need to be conscious about being okay think so think about a website it feels like it's every second day we've got a new um user interface language and designs and styles it's like they like changing websites every two three years because it that needs to be fresh so that in itself is where you need to make sure that you are okay that the lipstick part changes frequent um but the mechanics behind it can have a longer longevity and i think for a business analysts to understand the the components sometimes helps why certain requirements are high frequency where others are not. Mm. When you talk about non-functional um, at the back versus when it comes to a user type of re inter interface requirements, I think that's maybe the interesting part where we will be going as business analysts is to start looking at our requirements and actually you have a game plan. Mm. Um, when you do requirements management over a longer period, you have a game plan by saying, oh, I'm aware of this, I'm aware of this, and then you manage it accordingly. It's not like, you know, one size fits all. No, no, it's not. Um, 
And yeah, there, there's going to be, you know, we, we, we need to, the, the word's nimble, possibly. I'm trying to stay away from the word agile. We need to be quite nimble um, in, in, in doing this. Um, yeah. Um, some of that stuff's looking forward, right? Sort of looking forward at what's coming and, and that might like um, stop us in our tracks a little bit, slow us down. But what about people who sort of look backwards or perhaps stay in the past or like this is how we used to do it five years ago, I'm going to keep doing it this way. Is that going to present some problems? I think it's depending on the demographic and I'm picking it up in in many of the stages. I think it's um, the generations is depending on who you're working with. And I think that's as a business and a stakeholder management. If you know you're using a certain generation, then you know you, you're going to have to approach it a bit differently. Um, and I think it is. And I don't think it's just a generational thing, but I think it's a mindset thing. Um, if you don't have a growth mindset, then you tend to be the one you could be, you know, holding on. Um, and I think that's the challenge where we have. And that's what I love about being a business analyst in those situations is how did you present it? Be, and I think that's where we as business and as a way of presenting something to help somebody to move forward. Look at the opportunity that lies ahead for that person. Find it. It takes hard work. It's a preparation. But if you spend that effort, I promise you, you'll bear the fruit because that person feels it. Mm. That said, okay, you in this situation, this was your baby. You birthed it. It was your system. I totally get it. Let them vent. There's some. There's a lot of ways that you could do it. But I think, yes, is a lot going to be holding on? Yeah, baby. Um, I think that we will never get away. That is a, Those will always be there. But I don't think it's an opportunity for us to practice benefit realization, for instance. I always see there's an opportunity. There's something in your skill set that you could utilize and help that person to move forward. And it's actually still what you always do. You just personalized a bit. So I, I think it's still. Um, but the second part I also think is um, there's two things where we, we want behavior changes. I think that's also something that's always been to me. So I've got, I've got a different view when people say it's a customer-centric I still have a, a part of me that says it's not always the customer because sometimes we don't want bad behavior. And if we allow the customer to ask what he wants and do it the way he wants, then we continue with the bad behavior. Um, something like paper versus digital. So if we always accommodate the paper because people don't want to change, we're going to incur overheads. Um, so those are the, the examples sometimes where I think that's the change thing. We have to guide people to the new behavior. And again, it's the benefit part. Um, so yeah, okay. I must sometimes think differently about it. Yeah, no. Well, it's important to look at it from all the the these different angles. The world is moving. Some people don't want to move with it. Perhaps that older generation. There are other people moving with it a whole lot quicker because it's what they're used to. It's all they've they've ever known. Um, which might lead me to this question, actually. You know, we're going to have some people, some BAs maybe, who are a bit stuck in their ways. They've always done it this way, and so they keep doing their work in that way, and we're going to lose them along the way a little bit as well. But how 
are perhaps we going to need to adapt these future generations that are coming through now, Gen Zs and stuff? How might that change things? I think it's interesting because I think that's one of, I would say that would be one of the challenges and um, for BAs is those who st I still sometimes feel like they're still writing of a 20-year back diploma and they're still using that same frame. Um, that would be a challenge for those people in the future because where we are going. But but for the Gen Zs, I'm, I'm just amazed at their hunger for learning to knowing. So I think they have already got that growth mindset. They are already there to learn, knowing it changing. Um, they expect change. They actually expect it before it's really there. Um, sharpening different ways. They, they're much more open to find a different way um, and not always just mechanical. So they would start maybe mechanical to give them a frame and then they would evolve their personalization. But I think the biggest thing, I think what also for me exciting in the one sense is that the older or the, the previous BAs or the previous generation BAs are becoming mentors um, for the younger generation from a wisdom and an understanding of a few things because the past does reveal a lot of wisdom for us to take forward. It's not like you just look forward. Past has a lot we could learn from. Um, and I think that's the exciting part. And I think our the event we want to have at our corporate is actually to bring those two blends together so that the seniors become mentors and bring that wisdom through. And the juniors are already there to be led, to be shepherded um, through this. And I think that's the exciting part because they the seniors become a more need. They've got a purpose again. Uh, in a different way, I think that's going to, I'm excited to see what plays yeah. out with this blend coming through. Yeah, and, and as you're talking about that, I'm thinking that this actually goes two ways, right? Like the old teach the young and the young also teach the old. You know, if they say they're expecting change, perhaps they've got a bit more foresight about what's coming. They've got some wisdom to share sort of back in order to reciprocate as part of that that mentoring relationship, which which brings me um, to the end of this. I think I'm going to thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. I, I appreciate you coming on, Amory. And um, yeah, um, thank you for sharing. Oh, thanks, Joe. And I think I love what you're doing to challenge our thinking um, and giving us a hope for the future. <laughs>